Great are the Lord's works. Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him, and he remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. This is John Bowers, and welcome again to Modern Grace. Today, along with our uh, daily devotionals, we'll be doing the last installment of what the Bible says about seeking God. But first, before we, before we start anything, uh, let me take a moment and let's have prayer before we start our devotionals and this uh, last teaching. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for giving us the freedom to listen to your word, to read your word, and to obey your commands without any ramifications, Lord. Lord, I ask that you please be with this country right now and please bring it forth into our hearts that only a saving knowledge of you will bring peace throughout this country and throughout this world, that nothing man-made or any philosophy that man has uh, dreamt up in his best or worst intentions to save this country will be of any will be of any avail. And I ask that you please bless the word that we are about to read today, that we may understand it, that we may apply it to our hearts, and from there apply it to our everyday living. Help us be mindful of your grace and your sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen. Living the Proverbs day by day for July 15th. Today's lesson from Proverbs, our scripture comes from Proverbs chapter 16, verse 32. Patience is better than power and controlling one's temper than capturing a city. The name of this devotion is The Wisdom of Moderation. And the next scripture comes from Luke chapter 21, verse 34. But take heed to yourselves, 
lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life. Moderation and wisdom are traveling companions. If we are wise, we learn to temper our appetites and desires and our impulses. When we do, we are blessed in part because God has created a world in which temperance is rewarded and intemperance is inevitably punished. Would you like to improve your life? Then harness your appetites and restrain your impulses. Moderation is difficult, of course. It is especially difficult in a prosperous society such as ours. But the rewards of moderation are numerous and long-lasting. Claim those rewards today. No one can force you to moderate your appetites. The decision to live temperately and wisely is yours and yours alone. And so are the consequences. My utmost for his highest for July 15th. This devotion is entitled, My Spiritual's Honor and Duty. Our scripture comes from Romans chapter 1, verse 14. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians. Paul was overwhelmed with the sense of his indebtedness to Jesus Christ, and he spent his life to express it. The greatest inspiration in Paul's life was his view of Jesus Christ as his spiritual creditor. Do I feel the same sense of indebtedness to Christ regarding every unsaved soul? As a saint, my life's spiritual honor and duty is to fulfill my debt to Christ in relation to these lost souls. Every tiny bit of my life that has value I owe to the redemption of Jesus Christ? Am I doing anything to enable him to bring his redemption into evident reality in the lives of others? I will only be able to do this as the Spirit of God works into me this sense of indebtedness. I am not a superior person among other people. I am a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20, Paul said, You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Paul sold himself to Jesus Christ, and he said, in effect, I am a debtor to everyone on the face of the earth because of the gospel of Jesus. I am free only that I may be an absolute bondservant of his. That is the characteristic of a Christian's life once this level of spiritual honor and duty becomes real. Quit praying about yourself and spend your life for the sake of others as the bondservant of Jesus. That is the true meaning of being broken bread and poured out wine in real life.
Dreams in the Desert for July 15th. Our scripture comes from 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Now today's uh, devotion here, it starts off with a poem. It is easy to love him when the blue is in the sky, when the summer winds are blowing, and we smell the roses nigh. There is little effort needed to obey his precious will when it leads through flower-decked valley or over sun-kissed hill. It is when the rain is falling or the mitts hangs in the air, when the road is dark and rugged and the wind no longer fair, when the rosy dawn has settled in a shadow land of gray. Then we find it hard to trust him and are slower to obey. It is easy to trust him when the singing birds have come and their songs of praise are echoed in our heart and in our home. But it's when we miss the music and the days are dull and drear that we need a faith triumphant over every doubt and fear. And our blessed Lord will give it, for what we lack he will supply. Let us ask in faith believing, on his promises rely. He will ever be our leader, whether smooth or rough the way, and will prove himself sufficient for the needs of every day. Trusting, even when it appears you have been forsaken. Praying, when it seems your words are simply entering a vast expanse where no one hears and no voice answers. Believing that God's love is complete and that he is aware of your circumstances, even when your world seems to grind on as if setting its own direction and not caring for life or moving one inch in response to your petitions, desiring only what God's hands have planned for you, waiting patiently while seemingly starving to death, with your only fear being that your faith might fail. This is the victory that has overcome the world. This is genuine faith indeed. And today we're going to conclude our teaching of what the Bible says about seeking God. And we'll first go into Hebrews chapter 11, verses 5 through 7. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. 
Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. We are responsible for maintaining our fellowship with him by doing the works he has appointed for us to do. For instance, there must be continuous exercise of prayer, study into his word, and seeking to be like him. We seek him because we grow to admire, indeed respect, his love and character, appreciate the purpose he has brought into our lives, desire his merciful forgiveness, and realize he is our benefactor in every aspect of life. However, we must do all of these things in faith. Notice Paul's counsel in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Like life, Walking is a continuous process. Thus, when Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, He who comes to God must believe that he is. It means far more than just assenting to a vague idea of a first cause. Under the new covenant, we are dealing with a living personality working within his creation. To walk by faith is a practical responsibility. It results from believing in his character and his works as revealed in his word to the extent that we must trust him and submit to his commands in every area of life. His character is a major reason why we must continue to seek him so that our knowledge of him is continually sharpened and refined to inform our, our imitation of him in our lives. Otherwise, we will be pursuing a phantom designed by our own imaginations. We need to grasp as much of his transcendent holiness, supreme sovereignty, and almighty power and perfect justice, as well as his abundant mercy and wonderful grace. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 emphasizes that he is a rewarder, a benefactor to those who come to him and consistently walk with him by faith. He rewards those who, as a way of life, seek him in anticipation of his treating them with patient, respectful kindness, even abundance, as he works to create us in the image of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5 through 7, balances reward with duty. Together, these verses show that to be rewarded, we must walk with him and seek him. Walking and seeking are where works come into play, troubling those who believe in the incomplete eternal security doctrine. In summary, 
walking with God and seeking him by faith require keeping God in mind combined with making the efforts of obedience and any sacrifices of time, energy, and rejection by worldly family, friends, and business associates. Nevertheless, these result in being rewarded by God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, Because faith is indispensable to a good relationship with God, its importance cannot be overemphasized. But notice the condition in this verse. It does not say that God is the rewarder of everyone, but of those who diligently seek him. Living faith is direct. It has its foundation in diligently, actively, consistent, consistently, zealously seeking him in study and prayer and in conforming to his will. Those who are doing these things are encouraged that they will be rewarded. The reward is to find him. This, in turn, increases faith. The biblical word faith is most synonymous with the English word trust. Faith can be a mere agreement with a cold, hard fact this is fine as far as it goes, but it loses a great deal of meaning when we consider that this one with whom we are dealing with is a warm, dynamic, powerful, loving personality. Biblical faith, trust, is firm. It is faith in full flower, acting consciously and with agreeable feeling. We might call it conviction. This faith is not done coldly or calculatedly. Sometimes, because a thing is right, it is not done with a perhaps or a maybe, but with joy and with firm conviction, with the consciousness that one is in agreement with this dynamic and loving personality. We should be aware of our unity with him just as we are aware of our sense of touch, our strongest sense in terms of evoking emotion, Consider a punch in the nose uh, compared to a kiss. But faith, trust, is sensitive in the same way. It is conscious of the things of God. It sees God. In addition, faith not only evokes the hard, cold facts, it has a remembrance of truth, but also responds emotionally to a wonderful, dynamic, gracious, and powerful personality, who is our friend. Again, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Undoubtedly, all of us want to be rewarded by God, but are we willing to make the effort, that is, to pay the price? This is an intronistic part of the statement made here. The, this phrase, seek him, means seek God. Out of search for him with earnestness and diligence, we are to seek him with a sincere desire to obtain his favor. 
the word diligently is a very strong word and in a different context has the sense of requiring or even demanding. It implies a great deal of persistence. First Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Consider what these verses say from the standpoint of the prophets who were looking into these things. How did they look into these things? How did they seek God? And how did they search him out? An actual example appears in Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through, one through 3. <clears throat> Excuse me. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord, given through the prophet, through Jeremiah the prophet. What was Daniel looking into? He was looking into the Bible, specifically the writings of Jeremiah, the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplications, with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. How did he seek God? By prayer, fasting, and study. The same things that we teach Christians to do. Looking into his word is a major portion of seeking God. It is not the end of it because as Amos chapter four verse or chapter five verse four, six through seven and fourteen through fifteen relates, seek in the biblical sense does not just mean gaining an intellectual knowledge of God, but turning to become like God. The knowledge of God is of absolutely no use unless we become like God, which is why he says, seek God and live. Amos chapter 5 verses 4 through 6. What good is it if we have the knowledge but do not repent, do not turn to act and become like he is? None. If we only gain knowledge, we will not live. Prayer plays a major role in this process. Daniel was seeking God's mind for the purpose of imitating, obeying, pleasing, being like him, and doing his will. If we would continue in the prophet's book, we would find in chapter 10 that another occasion came up in which he fasted for three weeks. A person must be very serious and fervent to fast that long. The angel that is sent to him tells him that God heard Daniel's words from the very first day, that God would hear and answer was never a question. 
He spent three weeks fasting and praying to understand the will of God. It is in this way that we come to know God in the sense of perceiving things as he does. If we are doing these things, we have every opportunity to pray according to his will because we will be, we will be praying his word right back to him. Maybe not the exact words, but words that have the same sense. We will be on the same wavelength as it were with God. 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Someone who is guilt-ridden and conscience-stricken because of sin, rather than seeking fellowship with God, will shy away from him just as Adam and Eve did. After their sin, they ran, not to him, but from him. They hid from God. That's in Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. Is there a more powerful act that we as Christians can do to demonstrate our desire to run to God rather than from him, to demonstrate the strength of our desire to fellowship, than to pray always? A lack of desire to fellowship with God in Christ is a distinctive trait of Laodicean. Revelation chapter 3, through verses 18 through 20. Laodicean. We live in an era where people are apathetic about having a true relationship with God. No professing Christian would admit that he would not care to eat a meal and fellowship with Jesus Christ. Yet he reports that in his own church, some will not rouse themselves to fellowship with him Though they know he knocks at the door, by their inaction, they choose not to fellowship with him. In fact, they are so far from him that they, do not even, they don't even see their need. A terrible cycle of cause and effect is creative. No awareness of need, no desire, no desire, no prayer. No prayer, no relationship. No relationship, no awareness of need. It runs in a vicious cycle. God offers us not just endless life, but even more, eternal, close fellowship with him. That is part of our reward as first fruits. But how does God know if we want to fellowship with him forever? How can he determine about us, as he said about Abraham in Genesis chapter 22, verse 12? Now I know. Simply, if we are earnestly seeking fellowship with, fellowship with him right now in this life, our actions prove, just as Abraham's actions were proof, that we sincerely desire to fellowship with him forever. What is the major way God gives us to show our desire for eternal fellowship with him? Prayer. Through prayer, especially praying always, we are consciously deciding to place ourselves in God's presence, to have fellowship with him and to acknowledge our vital need for him. As an example of this, David writes in Psalm 27, verse 8, When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Your face, Lord, I will seek. 
The Amplified Bible uh, expands the idea of seek my face as to inquire for and require my presence as your vital need. Let me say that again. The Amplified Bible expands the idea of seek my face as inquire for and require my presence as your vital need. In everything we say or do, we are to acknowledge his presence in our lives and give thanks for it. Our praying always should also include thanksgiving to God for the many blessings he provides to sustain us, prosper, and perfect us. Considering this idea of eternal fellowship, it should come as no surprise that by striving to pray always, we are in training to do now what we will be doing for eternity, closely fellowshipping with God. It is one reason we have been called and elected by God that we might have fellowship with the Father and the Son. Revelation chapter 6 verse 17 For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Revelation chapter 6 verse 17 should read, For the day, the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? This is a plain statement of truth, followed by a rhetorical question. The sixth seal announces in unmistakable fashion that the great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The prophet Joel describes it. Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all of the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. The earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon grow dark, and the stars diminish their brightness. The Lord gives voice before his army, for his camp is very great, for strong is the one who executes his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? Joel chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 and 10 and 11. This is the question. Who will survive it? Who will pass God's judgment? The answer seems to be no one, but there is hope. As Joel chapter 2 verses 12 and 14 through 14 instructs, Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him? Jesus gives us his answer in Luke, <clears throat> Luke chapter 21, verse 36. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass 
and to stand before the Son of Man. We must be alert and prepared for what may come. And the most important part of our preparation is the strengthening of our relationships with the Father and the Son through prayer, study, meditation, and obedience to his instructions. This is the only means to escape God's wrath. Zephaniah chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Gather yourselves together, yes, gather together, O undesirable nation, before the decree is issued or the day passes like shaft, before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you. Seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth who have upheld his justice. Seek righteousness, seek humility. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. If we wish to avoid the coming stern and destructive judgment of God on recalcitrant mankind, there is no time like the present to seek his face.